Well, you know what? Whenever I invited our guests to come and be with us today, had no idea we were going to get snow. But you know what? We just decided and agreed that God is in control and, and who he has here, he wanted here. But you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that we need to understand and be reminded that we are a people on mission. And so this morning, I've invited a couple to come and speak to us. And many of you know them already. Uh, Mark and Melinda went. They've been here with us before. We've been in touch with them through different avenues while they were still in Africa. They came home. They can tell you about their coming home and what that entailed. And, and uh, that's part of their story. And I, I'm sure they'll share some of that with you. Um, we serve an amazing God. And their belief was, I think, at one point that, well, we're here. Now, what do we do? But God's not done. And in a few months, they're going to be back in Africa. And, uh, you know, it's, I've, I've struggled trying to understand your feelings, Mark, to be in the land of your birth and feel like a foreigner. And now you're getting ready to leave your, the land of your birth and you're going home. Um, but I, I honestly believe that's your heart from some of the conversations that we've been able to share in together. I'm excited they're getting to go back. I'm excited that God has fulfilled their desire and has answered their prayers. And they're going to share with us a little bit of how they got to this point, what they're going to be doing, where they're going. I don't know what all they're going to tell us. But we're going to listen prayerfully, and we're going to ask God to speak through you in a way that will touch our hearts this morning. And so I'm going to invite Mark and Melinda to come up here and, and, and take over. But as they do, and as you guys are coming, I want to invite you, church, would you just join me in prayer as we pray for them as they come? Father, we know that you have all things under control. Sometimes we have to be reminded of that. But Lord, I, I pray right now for, for Mark and Melinda as they come to speak to us. I pray, Father, that you would just anoint them. Speak your word through them. And Father, even as they encourage us to be reminded that we're on mission, I pray that you would encourage them and prepare them that as they engage once more in the mission you've placed before them, that they might be used in a mighty and powerful way. Father, be glorified in this time and place today, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm guessing when they went to church this morning, they didn't have to brave the snow like we did. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 uh, says, For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so that even we uh, despaired of life. Indeed, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and He will deliver us. We have put our hope in Him that He will deliver us again. While you join in helping us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that comes to us through the prayers of many. Can God give you more than you can handle? I'm going to tell you right now, He can. And if anybody tells you any different, they're lying to you. The story that me and Melinda want to share to you today is God gave us way more than we can handle, but he was big enough to do everything that needed to be done. Um, I was privileged to hear different stories of missionaries and things along the way of growing up and, and, and things, and, and it gave me a, 
a desire to be a part of missions. I didn't know what that would look like. I didn't think I was capable of doing that. I mean, I'm, I'm just me. I'm, I'm nobody special. But this desire just would stay and it wouldn't go. And, and, and eventually, uh, I don't even remember what year it was, that we, I went with my sister and, and younger brother. We went to Bolivia and did a short-term trip there, um, helping build a hospital. That was when God sealed it for me, and he called me in such a way that I knew without a doubt that missions was going to be a part of my life somehow. I didn't know how. I didn't know what that looked like or any of those other things. But somehow, God had it figured out, even if I didn't. Well, fast forward to whenever that was, years and years ago, to 2009. I'm in Sesheki, Zambia. Just arrived to the field. I'm walking on this road, a sandy road. I can still feel the sand in my sandals. The sand is hot. And I have just failed. I went to go search for a man that I had talked to the other day. And I was supposed to meet with him that day. Couldn't find him. See, when, you, when you're out in, the, in, in, in Africa, you don't have street numbers or house numbers. You have, it's this hut by this tree, that look, by a rock that looks like this. And so I went through this village looking for him. I couldn't find him anywhere. And so I'm, I'm feeling like a failure because I couldn't meet this guy that I told him I was going to come speak with him. So I'm walking back home, and it was a long walk. And I'm by myself, and I just start praying, God, what are you doing? I can't do this. Seminary wasn't enough. Learning what I did about the Lozi before I went wasn't enough. It was a people I didn't know, a language I didn't know, a culture I didn't know. What was I doing there? I had no idea. But it was on that road, and after some time of just complaining to God, that I realized, God, you're big enough. And right there, I told God, you're faithful. And if this is the desire you have for me, then your will be done. And that's what I've tried to walk um, from this day forward. I too was very privileged to hear um, missionary kids actually speak about their lives growing up. And one in particular, when it was, I was a senior in high school, and this young lady, she was a ninth grader, and she came home on her furlough or her stateside assignment, and she had grown up in Kenya. And so I got to hear all kinds of stories about just growing up in Kenya and what life had been like there, and and really was inspired by the depth of her relationship with Jesus. And I was just amazed, and I thought, that's incredible that you really grew up in Africa? Wow! That's awesome, but boy, I could never do that. And um, from that time, though, God used that and planted seeds in my heart because I thought, well, that's just too way, that's too far away from my family. I could never go that far away. But the next year, I went to Oklahoma Baptist University and heard about the journeyman program, which you can do as soon as you graduate from college. You can go overseas. You can be a single person. And you can, you don't have to have any Bible training. You just have to be an active member of a church. And I thought, well, I will be finished with college. I'm single and I definitely don't have any Bible training, but I'm eager. So sign me up. <laughs> and so I went um, and was very, very excited to be able to go to Taiwan and serve for a few years. And during that time, 
I just felt like the, that God was saying to me, this isn't just an adventure that you're on. This is going to be your life. And I didn't know exactly what that meant either. I just knew that I was supposed to say yes. And I was excited to say yes. Really, I had cried about it all night the night before because I didn't want to say goodbye to my family. But the next morning, I felt like he just gave me a peace in my heart and said, it's going to be okay. You just have to trust me. And then there was joy, joy indescribable. And so from that moment on, I knew, okay, Lord, somehow, some in some way, I'm going to be involved in missions and it's, it's your doing, Lord, so I'm just going to follow you. So fast forward, Mark and I met each other at a church. We got married and we were in Zambia. And I realized very quickly too that, okay, I can't do this by myself. I don't know this language. I don't know this culture. I don't know how to cook. <laughs> and I have a lot of things I need to learn, Lord, so I need your help. And something else that I had to adjust to was the difference in time, because Africans spend time very, very differently. There's just a much, much slower pace of life. And that was different for me, because I was used to being a very busy person. And they have a saying over there that, Americans, they have the watches, but Africans, we have the time. One of the things that God did for us when we were over there is he sent us two people. They are our people of peace. Their names are Dominique and Teresa. Dominique was not a believer. Teresa, um, she was, but she went to a different church. But if it wasn't for Dominique and Teresa, we would not have been able to get into the culture, get into the lives of people, know what we should do, what we should not do, and all those things. And I'll tell you right now, Dominique, he's got me out of so much trouble. I'm not, I'm not, he, I owe him a lot. If it wasn't for him, <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. Well, so... As I'm going in, in, in Zambia and here in Seisheki, going, okay, God, where, what is it that you want us to do? And so I'm just walking and going around different places, different villages, different compounds, and going, are you at work here, God? Is this where you want us to be, God? And just praying and just trying to figure out what he wants. And through that, I started probably 12 or, or more Bible studies. And I want to tell you, the vast majority of those Bible studies failed. And again, I'm going, okay, God, what is it that you want? I mean, I had some Bible studies, uh, this one lady in particular. She just wanted me at her house because here I am, the American at her house, and she could show me off. And as I'm teaching, she's just bringing her neighbors over just to, just to hey, look, I, this guy's at my house. And I didn't want to be a part of that. And so I had a few like that and a few um, this kind of didn't go nowhere. But th really three um, were strong. And out of those three, they came together and formed the church and as what you see now, that what it's grown to now. So I didn't know what God was doing. I had no idea. I didn't know what he had in store for me or Melinda, you know, and walking that path. And it was just continually to say, yes, God, your will be done. I don't understand what you're doing I can't, I am not big enough to do this, but you can, your will be done. We had some difficulties at the, at the church, you know, but nothing major or anything. 
And when we left for our stateside assignment in 2013, we thought everything was good, everything was great. Uh, the church was thriving, and for the most part, they uh, wanted to serve God. Sapo clapped her greeting at our door because that's how they, they don't knock on the door like we do here. They clap their greeting. And she said, Odie. So she's clapping. And then she, as she walked in the door, she said, oh. And she looked down. She said, I see you've been giving Pastor Mark a haircut because there were all these little trimmings right there next to the door. And she said, you know, people could use these haircut trimmings to place a curse on him. And that shocked me because I had not really even considered that at all. And she just kind of looked at me like, you know, are you just going to let him stay there? And um, I, I, I looked at her too and she said, well, now that I follow Jesus, I don't have to worry about burying our hair trimmings anymore. And I thought, well, praise God. Praise God. And that is our prayer for the Lozi people of the western province of Zambia, that they too will be able to turn away from the darkness, from the evil, and turn to the light, turn to Jesus, and that they wouldn't be afraid of curses, because curses and charms are very, very prevalent there. And, you know, we even say things here in the States that we don't even really think about, like, oh, works like charm. Well, that's very real to them. And so we're praying that they will place their faith in Jesus Christ and not in a charm. And um, Zambia was a really great place to raise a family. Rural Africa, lots of sunshine, fruit trees in the yard, and little Zambian kids everywhere wanting to be friends and play. And it was just a lovely place to raise a family. We had Madeline was little when we went. Then Matthew was born over there. And then we discovered at the beginning of 2014 that we were pregnant with our third child. At, he's Micah. We didn't know at the time he was Micah, but we were very excited to be, to be pregnant at the beginning of 2014. 2014 was a very interesting and probably one of my more difficult years. Uh, Melinda's talking about the charms. It was a very dark time, very demonic time as well. When we re arrived back in Seisheki, uh, we, I, it was January, and I, rem I don't remember the exact date. It was on a Thursday we arrived, and, and when I drove the truck through the, the, uh, to the gate that Given had opened, um, he came and he met me, and I met him, we hugged, and it was just great. You know, I hadn't seen Given in ever, and he, nine months we've been on stateside um, doing medical stuff, and it was just good to be back with him and, and be back in Zambia. And I told Given, I said, Given, I said, tomorrow, bring Dominique and Teresa and, and you and we come, we're going to have lunch together. And he loved that because he, he loved Makua food, you know, white man's food. He loved that stuff. And I said, well, come, bring, bring them, and, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate being back together again. And he did. And he said, okay, but also remember, we have started a prayer um, meeting on Fridays as well. I said, great, we'll have lunch and then we'll go to the prayer meeting. Had lunch and I noticed that Dominique is kind of sheepish, you know, he's not doing, he's not really eating. I'm like, Dominique, you okay? He's like, yeah, yeah. And then he finally looked at me and he said, I'm, I, I need to apologize to you. I was like, okay, Dominique. 
He said, some of the things that happened at the, they, Dominic can give them both work for me. He said, some of the things that ha- at the job didn't happen as you wanted them to. And I said, Dominic, I don't care. I haven't seen you in nine months. I said, we're just together. Let's just be together. We're going to walk together again. Let's, I don't care about what didn't happen at the job. I said, I already looked. I already know. And I don't care. I said, let's just enjoy one another. And so that was fine. And he still kind of looked downcast. I was like, Dominic, what's the matter? He said, I also need to apologize to what is happening at the church. That really got my attention. So what is going at the church? I said, Dominique, you and Given both, when I called you, said everything was fine. I said, but I assure you, if something is going on at the church that is not supposed to, we will deal with it. And we, we will get back to where we need to be. And so me and Dominique and, and um, Teresa and Given and Madeline went with me. We all walked to church that day, about a mile away. Went to church, had a Bible study. Everything was great. Once the Bible study was over, I saw that the, the members that I knew, the original members, they got up and left. And Dominique stayed, but he went in the corner and just kind of bowed his head. And I thought that was weird. I mean, because where is everybody going? I mean, all the people that I know, where are they going? And only the new members stayed that I didn't know. Well, all of a sudden, Given lined up these kids right in front, and they just started going crazy and he was smacking them on the ground, throwing them on the ground, picking them up and he was like, we're rescuing them from the demons. We're exercising the demons out of them. I was like, given, they're not possessed. What are you doing? They're not possessed. And he had brought in a lot of false teachings. My given was my African son, basically. He, we helped him go through school. We helped him have a house. Um, we helped him have food and clothing. He was, I spent every day with that guy. And if you met him, you would like him. He's got this smile that goes forever, and he's just a likable guy. But he was doing some very demonic things. He, he was taking the place of Christ in the church. And I could not stand for that. I had to stand in the middle of that. When I stood in the middle of that, it brought a lot of pain (laughs) our way and for the church as well. He attacked me. He attacked Dominique and Teresa and and he um, tried to destroy the church. He took us to the police and we had to go to police court. But by the grace of God, my relationship with the police of the chief, uh, the chief of police, um, grew into something great. We had a great relationship because of what Given did. Then that didn't work for Given, so he took me to the the, the Kuta, which is the Lozi court. Is a is a twelve chiefs, and they decide this case. And I'm sitting underneath these twelve chiefs, and just praying to God, God, I don't know what's going on. I because those guys can kick you out. <laughs> you have to leave the country if, if they don't like you there. And so I'm just praying, God, I don't know what's going on. And when the Nalisa, the, the, the area chief, asked me what was going on, I told him. And he cited for us. I had a bad relationship with Nalisa. He did not like me because I would not build him buildings God's hand was in that. And after that time, when he saw what was going on, God did something to Nalisa. He sided for us. 
he, he, made, he, he told Given, if I catch you practicing these beliefs here, you are in trouble. And he could do a lot to Given. He's, he's a big man in that area. Okay, so my relationship with Nalisa got to be great. In fact, he was one of the guys in that video. It was just me and Nalisa just standing there. He's going to our church there in Seisheki now. What, what Given was trying to do for evil, what Satan was trying to do for evil, God meant for good. It was amazing to see God's, God at work and doing this wonderful, wonderful stuff. During this time, I saw a progression in Dominique as well. He would come up to me and goes, I don't think I could ever teach a Bible study. Okay, Dominique, I'm not asking you to. Don't worry. About a couple months later, he came up to me and said, um, do you think maybe I could teach a Bible study? So, sure, Dominique. So I sat down with him. I showed him how to go through and make a lesson, and, and he, he did. And he started teaching uh, Sunday school. Well, a little while longer, he came up to me and said, I don't, I don't think I could ever do a sermon. I don't think I could ever preach. That's fine, Dominique. Not asking you to. I wouldn't ask that of you. A little bit later, he came to me. Do you, do you think maybe I could do a sermon? Well, sure, Dominique. Let me show you. Let me help you with that. See, Given was the pastor. He's out now because he's doing some evil, nasty things. I'm bad things. God was raising up Dominique, who when I first met him was not a believer. He was just a person of peace that helped me out. And he did amazing. He is still there now, thriving in that church. Pray for Dominique, though. His eyes are not doing too well. When I was there in June, he was fine. From June until now, he's almost blind. We're, they're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, he has to return to the clinic in another month, and we'll find out. So please pray for him. Right now, he can't even read the Bible, so... Uh, Teresa is reading it to him and he's just formulating um, sermons in his head and then he'll go and preach. That's what he did this morning. So pray, please pray for Dominique because he, he is a very humble and wonderful man. He's my best friend there. If it wasn't for Dominique, I don't know where I'd be at in Zambia. Oh, yeah. Well, she told, I forgot something. Well, so all this was going on, and, and Dominique, was, he was getting raised up to being the pastor uh, by God's work. Um, the church was, was seeing that they were being victorious in, with the chief of police, with, with the, the Ndunas, the chiefs. And one day, Dominique came up to me and said, do you think we could celebrate after church this Sunday? Dominic, you don't need to ask me that. You can do whatever you want. It's not my church. It's your guys's. He said, okay, we want to celebrate. I said, okay, Dominic, what do you want to celebrate? Just tell me that. He said, we want to celebrate that God fights for us. I said, all right, we're going to celebrate God fights for us. And we celebrated. I went and another missionary that I knew down the way, he had a huge pot. I went and borrowed that. We made a lot of national foods in Shima and Bahove and relish and we celebrated like you can't believe because they saw God fights for us they were in a predicament there with Given Given was a big man but they saw that God took what they could not handle and turned it around to where they were victorious now because of what God did all right so that was 2014, lots of struggle, but lots of good things that we could see God doing. You know, God really was fighting for us. 
And at, in September of that year, well, actually in August, we traveled to Johannesburg to have Micah. And um, he was born a healthy little guy, cute as can be. Of course, I'm a little biased. And um, everybody told me that it was going to take a little bit longer to heal this time because it was my third C-section, and I was 39. So they said, you won't bounce back, but that's okay. And so that's what I was telling myself. I know uh, it's, it's taking me longer to heal this time, but that's all right. I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> so um, I, I wasn't healing real well, but it didn't seem to be strange. So I, I was still having some pain, but it was manageable. It was very manageable. And I just didn't have a lot of energy. And, but, you know, that's a normal feeling for mothers, right? Of newborns, yes, there's a lack of sleep. So it's normal to be tired. So those were all things that I thought were very normal. Um, but then I started having really, really bad pain. And um, we, it took a lot longer than it was supposed to, or supposed to, um, to get our paperwork. We had to wait for visas and things like that to return from Johannesburg to Zambia. And the International Mission Board were very, very thankful for their support and care because they send us to Johannesburg where the medical care is very good. And so they sent us there to have Micah, and then we wait for paperwork to return to Zambia. So we finally got our paperwork, we returned to Zambia, and it's just almost Thanksgiving time, and then we have this mandatory meeting that we have to go to with all of the other Zambian missionaries. Normally, we are very excited about mission meetings, but this time we were just like, can we please just stay home in Sashaki? Because we'd been traveling so much, and we were just ready to be home and to just be ourselves again. But it was a mandatory meeting, and so we went to the meeting, and it was God's hand. You know, It really was God's hand putting us in that place for that time because in the little bush place where we were in Sesheki, there wasn't good medical care. And so when we went up to Lusaka, there was good medical care, and that was really important, and God knew that because I started having this terrible pain. I mean, it was worse than childbirth. And um, I didn't know what to do. And Mark will tell you the rest. Well, we had just finished our team meeting. It was the day after Thanksgiving. And I was saying goodbye um, to the ladies that were on our team because they had to drive to uh, their, their place of service in the morning. And I walked in to the, our room at the Baptist Guest House there in Lusaka, and I find Melinda on the floor. She's just screaming in pain, pain I've never seen before. I mean, it was bad. It was, it was bad. And she had put Micah in the, the car seat. And so I called up one of the ladies because she just happens to be a nurse. And I said, Melissa, I don't know what's going on. I said, you might come over here and help me. And uh, so me, um, uh, Melissa, took uh, Melinda to the, well, it's not really an emergency room. They, they don't, yeah, it's to the hospital. And I had Micah with me. It was two months at that time. And they're, they're trying to help her. They're doing the best that they can. And they give her some medicine to help her calm down. And even with that medicine, she's still screaming out every once in a while. I'm, I'm telling you, I've never seen her hurt like that before. I mean, it was just screaming. And um, so she finally calmed down. And I'm sitting with Melinda or with Melissa, and she's holding Micah, and I'm just asking her, "What do you think this could be? What's, what do you think?" Because you know she's a nurse, so she's my expertise right now. 
Don't know. And then all of a sudden, Melinda, Melinda um, just went stiff as a board. It was, it was, it was a violent too. She like kind of jumped out of the bed. I had to jump out and get, make sure she didn't fall off the bed. And Melissa's ask, asking, well, what's, what is she doing? What, what's going on? So she's not breathing. So that's what's going on. So she said, well, go get the nurses. And I ran to go get the nurses. And they, they didn't seem to care. And they, it's like, she's not breathing. Come now. And they just sat there. So I went into their office. I said, she is not breathing. Come now. So they finally got up and started looking through some drawers and stuff. No, not just like that. I'm like, come now. She's not breathing. I did the missionary thing, and I grabbed them forcefully, and I pushed them into that room. And I said, we need your help. The, the simple fact is, they just didn't know what to do. It's not because they meant harm. They were scared. But God provided. Melissa was there. Melissa breathed for her. And then in time, they, we finally got her to revive, and she was fu- fine. But this was telling me something was going on. Something major is going on here with, with Melinda. And for the next couple of days, we were in the hospital there in Lusaka, not knowing what's going on. And everybody's telling us just to go back to Seisheki. I'm not going back to Seisheki, a little bush town where I need an airplane to, to get me anywhere fast, a bush plane. I'm not doing it. But all the doctors kept telling me, no, it's, it's an amoeba. It's, you know, it's this, it's that. Don't worry about it. No. And I told my leadership, I said, I am not. I said, you can do whatever you want to with me. We are not going back to Seisheki, not until I figure out what's going on with her. And, he, and I was even on the phone with, with the, our medical team in, in Johannesburg. They said, we don't want you to come. You're, you're coming to Johannesburg. We're going to make sure she's, she's okay. See, that's something you guys might not know, is your Lottie Moon dollars helped with all that. It helped her with all her medical stuff. If it wasn't for that, we couldn't have just flown to Johannesburg and get the treatment that she needed. But we were able to go there, and, and they did a lot of tests, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. But the doctor there said, we don't know what is happening. All I know is don't wait three months to do something. Something needs to be done. Either do it here in Johannesburg or you fly to the States and get it done. But we don't know what it is. Just, just do something. So we tell our leadership and medical, and they said, well, you're, you're coming back to the States. They didn't even ask us. They just said, this is what you're doing. And so here we are in, in December. Very cold. Very cold. <laughs> Leaving from Johannesburg, which is very hot. I mean, like, Hot landed in Wichita on December 21st, 2014. So as he mentioned, um, we had just come from a cold, uh, hot place, excuse me, we had hot weather clothes with us. We didn't even expect to be in Johannesburg for very long, so we didn't pack but like two to three days of hot clothes. So when we first arrived in Kansas, well it's winter, right? It's winter in December, it's winter in March. <laughs> So 
Um, there were some very wonderful churches who offered support to us, including this one. And some of you um, know us, and we love you, and we, we love the new ones as well. Thank you. I just want to share with you what your church did for us during that time because we didn't have winter clothes, so you guys collected winter clothes for us, and we had warm clothes to wear, thank God. So we're very thankful for you, plus you gave us food. And it was Christmas time, right? It was December 21st when we arrived. And you know what Christmas is like in America, right? And so you guys got Christmas presents for our children, and they had presents under the tree. So we are very thankful. And God provided a home for us to stay in in El Dorado. And we were surrounded by loving church family and surrounded by our parents and um, our children's grandparents and aunts and uncles and they had cousins. And God took care of us and he used you to do it. So thank you. So um, we arrived on December 21st and December 31st I had surgery. Two masses were removed from my colon, in addition to four feet of my colon, which is like, that's how tall I am. <laughs> so, um, and then they did a biopsy and, and discovered that it was indeed cancerous. I mean, I had cancer in my body and didn't even know it. But by the grace of God and this very kind doctor in Johannesburg who had said, don't wait, do it now, here I am today, cancer-free, by God's grace. And um, yeah, so amen, amen, God. <laughs> so um, we were like healing from surgery and thinking, okay, maybe, you know, this, this was just a few years, uh, excuse me, a few months after this had happened, and I was feeling good, feeling strong, and went to the oncologist, and he's like, okay, your margins are clear, none of your lymph nodes have any cancer in them, you are cancer-free. And by the way, I'd like to recommend six months of chemo. Yeah, that was my reaction too, like, because, you know, who wants to go through chemo? That was definitely not on our calendar. So, um, during that time, the Lord really spoke to me in the book of Isaiah and made his presence very, very real to me. And um, I just want to read a passage to you that really encouraged me from Isaiah 42, starting in verse 6. I, Yahweh, have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and from those sitting in darkness from the prison house. I am Yahweh. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. The past events have indeed happened. Now I declare new events. I announce them to you before they occur. And it was so encouraging to me because I thought, you know, even if we've got this time that we were not planning for, this, this wasn't, you know, like, oh, let's just go to the States next year and do surgery and chemo. That sounds great. You know, he had it planned for us, though. And he's in charge and he's sovereign. And he was reminding me, you know, I'm here with you and I still have great plans for your life. You know, the best is yet to come. You just have to trust me. 
this was a journey that we did not want to take, we did not expect. And if you would have told me what it was going to be, I would have turned it down. But God knew what he was doing. You know, earlier I told you, you know, God will give you more than you can bear. He gave me more than I could bear. I, more than we could bear. But he was there with us every step of the way. When I look back at, at Lusaka and Thanksgiving Day, I had to go to the store to get a bottle, uh, a bottle, some formula, and some water. You would think that's an easy thing to do. Not in Africa. I might have to run to 12 different stores just to get three things. But I went to one store and found everything. And I was just, I left that store just praising God. Thank you. You made my day a lot easier. The very next day, we needed those things. And the only reason we got it was because it was just so hot. Melinda just said, do you think you can go get me these things? Okay, no problem. God provided when we landed here in bitter cold, God provided. Through you guys, God provided. Not just with clothes, but I mean, my kids had presents. And we are thankful. What was more than what I could bear, more than what Melinda could bear, God knew exactly what he was doing. I did not want to walk this journey. I did not want to have to come home. I did not want to have to leave the, the, the mission board and go work at a funeral home and then at an office. I didn't want to do those things. I was like, God, what are you doing? I remember I was working at this funeral home and I'm in the music room, kind of in front of God and everybody, and I'm being angry, just being angry at God, going, God, what are you doing? Wait. I don't want to be here. What are, you, what are you trying to tell me? And it hit me. Why am I mad at God? What did he do to me that was so wrong? I mean, it hit me so bad that I, I literally, I was on my face on that ground repenting to God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being angry. I'm sorry for not liking this journey, the predicament that I'm in, you're doing something. I just need to trust in you. And from that point, just started trusting in God with what he had for us. You know what he did? He showed me he was sovereign. He showed me he is in control. He showed me that he has got this and I have nothing nothing to worry about and that no matter the cost life, death happiness, sadness he is worth it he is worth it we we have nothing to complain about if we are in Christ we've won he is with us I tell you through that difficulty God made me better I am more compassionate about things than I ever were. I thought I was a compassionate person. But after all this stuff, I, th I have a different understanding. Thank you, God. I think I'll be a better missionary now 
with having to walk this path. You know, I used to say, praise God for allowing us to go on this journey, but I pray that he will never have me go on it again. You know what I was doing? I was sinning. I was sinning. What I should have said and what I say now is, praise God for having us go on that journey and praise him if he desires for us to go through it again. Because he is sufficient. He has everything you need. He is there for you. Through difficulty, he will make you better. Just remember that. So we had lots of blessings of being here in the United States. And it's a crazy, crazy, crazy to me to think that we've actually been here over four years now. So that was December of 2014, and now here we are, March of 2019. And um, so Mark said that he worked at the funeral home, and then he was an office administrator doing lots of different kinds of things. I was a part-time occupational therapist, homeschooling mom, and um, we had the blessings of being surrounded by family. And the kids have been reacquainted with American culture and have gotten to spend lots of time with their grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and get to do American things, you know, softball, swimming, soccer, basketball, you know, those fun things that are part of living in America. And it's, it's just been a huge blessing for them. And, um, okay, so where are we? Oh, yeah. So it, it was wonderful, and it has been wonderful, and yet our hearts still felt called. Like, just the longing, you know, like we need to obey the Lord. We need to be obedient to the calling he's put in our life. And so as soon as we were allowed to do so, we started the process of reapplication with the mission board, the International Mission Board, which some of you may or may not know, but I know Pastor Tim does an excellent job of talking about what that is, but it's the missions sending agency of all the Southern Baptist churches. So when you give your tithes and offerings, a portion of what you give through the cooperative program goes to support local missions, and a portion of that goes to support international missions. And then also, every Christmas, you guys have a world missions offering, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and then all of those monies go directly to support international missions. And so, as soon as we were allowed, as I said, we reapplied with the International Mission Board. And you know what they said? Wait. We were like, oh. Okay, Lord. But his timing is perfect. And little did we know that we needed that extra time. We needed spiritual healing. We needed physical healing. And our little guy, Micah, if you talk to him, you'll probably realize he's got a speech delay. And he needed time in the United States so he could learn English. And God took care of that. And he's, he's still improving. He's still making lots of improvements. And we'll continue to get speech therapy for him overseas. But that's what he needed. He needed English. And God knew that. Like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. So, what's the next step? God has opened doors again. Um, we're going to be returning back to Zambia. In the western province of Zambia. Western province is three quarters the size of Kansas. That's my area. We'll, the town will be two hours north of where we used to live. 
My job will be a little bit different this time, though. Before, I was a church planner. This time, I'm going to be a church planner, too, but I'm going to be a church planting catalyst. Sounds great, doesn't it? What that means is I'm going to start a team with local leaders in the church, get them to, to partner with each other, hopefully maybe get a little association going so that they, when they can trust in each other and in God, they need that support. So when people come along like this guy, uh, my African son did with false teachings, they don't have to fall for it. Because if they're together, they're going to be strong. And so part of my job is getting them together. So I'll be going all through the Western province, going to the churches that we know. Because right now, Given is going to the churches that we had planted. Pray for them to stay strong, that this false teaching will not come into their, their church, into their lives, because it will destroy them. It will just destroy that church. So pray for us as we go over that we can help with those things. Given will be one of the first things that I will probably reach out to. He'll be one of the first things that I won't have to deal with. Pray for that. Pray for Given. Not, not anything bad. Pray that he will fall on his face in repentance. Because if he became a man to follow God, mighty things would happen. If he would put that energy... For God, instead of the devil, mighty things would happen. He's just that type of guy. Pray that that will happen. He's, he's in contact with me again, out of the blue. He just started Facebooking me. You can ask my, my brother. He saw it. I, 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 I don't believe him right now in what he's telling me. I, so pray for him. But God's bigger than that. So that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to go out and have that new job, be among the lousy people again. There's about a million people in the Western Province that need Jesus. Western Province is a dark, dark place. Demonic stuff is, is just there. Um, they need Jesus. And that's why we're going. Because God has called us to that. I want to leave you with a verse. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, but, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, and catastrophes, persecutions, and, and in all, and pressures, because of Christ. For when I am weak, then he is strong. He made me weak. And I praise him for that because I saw a powerful God that I serve. And I am thankful for that. We'd like to encourage each one of you to examine your hearts too and ask yourselves, who is the king of your heart? And I would pray that Jesus is the king of your heart. But if he's not, and if you have not followed him as savior, then there's no better time to do it than now. So if you want to have that conversation with God and say, Lord, be the Lord of my life, be my king, then please talk to Pastor Tim, Pastor John, speak to us afterward. We would love to talk to you about what it, what it means to have Jesus be your king. Because 
we couldn't have made it without him. And um, it'll be the best thing you ever do is following Jesus. We have some prayer cards with our family's picture on it. And then on the reverse side is some information about the Lozy people and where Zambia is. And it has our blog address. And it has our email address where you can email us if you would like to, to be a part of a prayer letter. Um, there's also a sign up if you would like to receive the prayer letter. Our blog is updated, but I don't have the prayer letters going yet, but very soon. That's on my, my list of things to do. So if you would like to receive those prayer letters, please make sure you sign up on that list or just email me at the address on that card. And they're out in the foyer. On, on, the, the, table. on the table right there. And we would love to invite you to come and see us. So pray about taking a mission trip, please. We would love it. Come, come and see us and see what God is doing in Africa. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for sharing with us. You know, I, there were numerous things that just kind of popped this morning, but, you know, I, I want to ask you. You came in here this morning. Do you need God to fight for you about something? You know, we face things in life, all of us do. And just to me, it was such an amazing statement. God fights for us. God fight. He, he does. We are his children and he watches over us. He fights for us. He provides for us. I mean, you talked about him fighting for us. You talked about him providing for us. You talked about the way he takes us on the journey. You know, we were talking out in the foyer this morning, Mark. I'm like you. I get so frustrated when people say, God will never give you more than you can carry. Yes, he will. He'll never give you more than he can carry. But he wants us to lean into him. Maybe today you need him to fight for you. Maybe today you need to lean into him. Maybe he's carrying what you can't. Maybe you need that relationship. Listen, you don't have to go to Africa to see people saved. Happens right here. Maybe we need to be a little more aggressive about that. Sharing the Jesus we know. In a moment, we're just going to stand together and sing a little song of invitation. We're not going to be here very long at all. Maybe you need to talk to God. Maybe you need to pray. You want someone to pray with you. I'd be happy to do that. Maybe you want that relationship. Come and tell me. I won't embarrass you or put you on the spot. But I'd love to explain to you today how you can become a child of the King. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful today that you are a God who fights for us, a God who watches over us, provides for us, meets our needs in the most amazing of ways. Father, when we don't know what's happening, we don't know what's going on, you're still in charge of everything and you're moving to pieces, getting us where we need to be, doing what needs to be done, taking care of your children. And Father, in this room, I know this morning that most of these people probably are your children, but there may be someone here who does not know you. I, I pray for them right now, that your Holy Spirit would convict them and draw them, help them to see the need, the, the emptiness in their life that can be filled only through Jesus. Father, there are burdens that need to be laid down. There are people trying to do things in their own strength that need to lean into you right now. So, Father, I pray turn our eyes to Jesus. For it's in his name I pray and ask this. Amen.